0: It's 5.50 in the morning on July 12th, and last night was actually a a very rough night for me sleep-wise. First really rough night I've had in some time. I've been able to go, um, I think since right before Jill and I broke up, and actually just me being down in Florida and um, the worry from what was going on with Jill and I and all that stuff, I was losing sleep then. But I have not missed a good night's rest other than maybe one time when the kids, Tyler, ends up trying to come in my bed and then I have to kick him out because I can't sleep with him in my bed. But um, I've been great. Everything's been fine. Um, I've been obviously going through a lot of pain in the day. Um, It's getting excruciating. But God is is giving me grace to walk through it every day. It seems that the grace is equal to um, the weight of the pain and uh but last night man it was rough i mean i had and and really weird that that i'm thinking so much about um what's going on with this just really unjust thing in court with but last night i had all these dreams and thoughts about jill i had a dream that we were somewhere even with my kids and she was there and she was there with her new boyfriend they weren't like real close yet they were kind of just maybe seeing each other or whatever and i was willing to be there which was really weird and he's i sat like right beside him and she sat right on the other side of him and we were somewhere like listening to some seminar thing or whatever I, it was just really weird but that was hurtful and then of course i woke up thinking about her and i realized that a lot of it is that i miss her deeply And I also realize there's another part of it that I'm seeking pain relief. That I would really like to be with her. I thought about yesterday sending her a text message telling her that I miss her and I'm thinking about her. And I knew that I shouldn't do that. I need to just continue to stay here. Not take matters into my own hands. um, And not seek pain relief. It's because I'm going through so much pain right now. And the enemy knows it. And so I think last night I just came under attack and I I laid there thinking about Jill for probably 45 minutes or more, I don't know. And, um, then I moved, my thoughts moved to the court situation and thinking about how I'm getting ready to get hit with a $10,000 equalizing payment um, due to the, because of the injustice of this thing and how they were able to get all these things added into the court case. It's just, just crazy. I just can't even believe it. And, uh, I'm going to have to probably pay a large portion of her attorney's fees, and she's now going to get to interrupt my summer visitation every summer for for, for for four days, twice, and five hours on Chelsea's birthday. I mean, it's just crazy, absolutely crazy. All the accusations will will stay in there, and it occurred to me that it's almost like she, that her attorney knew that in order for me to have that whole day's thing transcribed, it was going to be close to $2,000, and I probably wouldn't have the money to do it. And so all she had to do was put in a couple of things in there that would have been wrong. I could be wrong here. This could be just a conspiracy theory, but it was a thought that occurred to me in the middle of the night. What a, what a, a brilliant tactic. If you know you have a guy that's representing himself, and he's out of money, simply submit a final proposal with whatever you want in it, and... If you can get it through the busy administration of the other judge, it then becomes the burden, the financial burden of me to prove that what she said was wrong. Here I am, I would have to pay $2,000 or close to it in order to get just what the judge said to be what was in the order. I mean, how crazy is that, that she was able to just completely ignore... What the judge said, and then it becomes my burden of responsibility, and I would have to pay $2,000 just to get the court to put what's in the paper right. So I continued to think about this for a little bit, and again, God kept just bringing me back. I did get a little fearful thinking about, oh my gosh, $10,000 for this, $10,000 for that, $125,000 in imputed income. I'm going to be in trouble. I thought about that for a minute. And started thinking, man, I should defend myself. And then quickly, quickly came right back to the Holy Spirit saying, do not resist an evil person. And if someone sues you for your cloak, your give them your tunic as well. If someone hits you on the right cheek, turn to them to the left. If someone asks you to go a mile, go with them too. And that's not something anybody's ever discipled me in. It's not something anybody's ever, I've never really even heard a message about this. And so now I'm having to walk it out on my own with the help of the Holy Spirit. And um, just face the fact that there's great injustice. But the thought does occur to me this morning. Last night I got on my knees and I was reading Psalm 91. And I had what I believe is a revelation from the Holy Spirit. If you read Psalm 91, Psalm 91 is all about almost what sounds like a guaranteed protection For those that fear the Lord. You know, you may see 10,000 fall by your side due to a plague, but you will remain standing. It basically says, harm will not come to you. If you rest in the shadow of the Almighty, this whole thing. And that's a promise I think that a lot of people run to when they get in trouble. But what I'm now being confronted with in the pain of this and seeing that, you know, I've held on to that scripture multiple times, and yet I still have to go through tremendous suffering... People like Stephen came up to me last night, you know, being stoned. People like Paul, people like Peter being hung upside down on a cross. Um, We don't see what appears to be the fulfillment of those promises in in the Psalms always in the New Testament. Previous to the New Testament, previous to Jesus Christ, so in the day of the Psalms, there would have been no way for anybody to participate in the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ had not yet even come yet and with the sufferings of Christ him being made perfect in the sufferings and him bringing this new covenant there is now a new covenant there's a new way and it's the way of belief in Jesus Christ but it's also the way of obeying him and participating both in his death and in his life or one maybe should say we not only have to participate we not only get to participate in his life we must also participate in His death. Because I think in today's church, all we want to talk about is belief in Jesus, yay, 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 salvation of our souls, whoop-de-doo, everything's great. And you come to Jesus and your life works. And man, what a lie that is. What an absolute lie. Whereas now, I see that God has a great purpose for suffering. You know, bless her heart, Jill really struggled recently with the death of a friend of hers that uh, she wasn't really a friend but it was a lady she knew who had this ministry helping battered women in in abused situations and she had a safe house and apparently was a wonderful Christian woman and she ended up being murdered she ended up at the bottom of a lake in her car um, and they think that it might have been her grandson and a friend and you know that was something very difficult for everybody to make sense of including Jill and Jill's like I almost don't want to believe in a God that allows that to happen and I now am in this pain. God is telling me to willingly embrace the suffering and to trust Him. He's telling me to obey Him and to turn the other cheek. That is that's not the kind of deliverance that people scream for or long for or read about or search for in the Psalms or anywhere. The be of good you know, be of good cheer or you know, be courageous and do not fear that we see Joshua being commanded. And yet we see Paul several times mentioned how afraid he was. I came to you with great, with much fear and trembling. You know, we were to the point where they despised of even life itself. That's a lot of pain and suffering. And so it's just occurring to me that we cannot, we should not be so thirsty for victory we should be thirsty to look more like Jesus Christ. And it is only by the Holy Spirit inside of us that can even give us that desire and then empower us to walk in it. I have not been able to do this on my own. I'm getting to a place where God is rising me above, drowning in the suffering. He's not allowing me to suffer. He's not allowing me to drown. I did a message yesterday where I kind of heard Tony Evans talk about that There is comfort in the suffering that God does not allow you. He allows you to be banged around and knocked around, but he doesn't allow you to be destroyed if you hold on to him in faith. I am really convicted um, that we thirst way too much and expect way too much in the way of victory, in the way of pain relief, and in the way of justice. When in fact in this life, we're not always going to see that. And I had this all come to me this morning, and then I come out here on the porch to read the Word this morning, and the first thing I did was check my email just to see if by any chance there's bad weather news, since I'm going to be dropping her off this morning, or dropping the kids off with her. And lo and behold, I've used this word justice, such a tragic injustice the last couple of days. Lo and behold, today's devotion from Greg Laurie is the venue of cosmic justice. I knew instantly when I saw this, wow, this is again here. God is so faithful. Every day in these devotions, God is speaking directly to my situation, very specifically. The scripture says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever so we don't look at the troubles we can see now rather we fix our eyes we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last forever 2 Corinthians 4 17-18 it's interesting that last night in the middle of my spiritual attack and my thoughts going in places that they shouldn't I took them captive and I began to think about Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God and I began to focus my mind deliberately on heaven above. And it's what kept me from going over a cliff last night. The scripture says, the devotion says, we all know that life isn't fair. That it is filled with inequities and injustices. Well, that would be an understatement for me right now. He says, sure, there are times when good is rewarded and bad is punished. But far too often it's the very opposite of that. We see good people suffer And we see evil people succeed. But while it's true that life is not fair, it's also true that God is good. He is righteous and holy, and He loves all of us. And one day in eternity, God will right all wrongs. All of those unanswered questions will be dealt with. The unfair things in life will be solved. Pain will be replaced by comfort. I mean, these are the exact words Then I'm talking about hearing and speaking. I mean, God is so specifically speaking. It's incredible. He's to be praised. Tears will be replaced by joy and laughter. Heaven is where losses are more than compensated for. Amen. Knowing this gives us a better perspective on the struggles of life. We are reminded by the Apostle Paul. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see will now soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. God has other times and places where our dreams and hopes can be realized. We see things in a certain way here on earth, but that can change overnight. That can change in a nanosecond when we enter into eternity. As Dinesh D'Souza said, Heaven is the venue of cosmic justice. This is where the faithful servants of the Lord who came and last receive their due prize and reward. It's all going to be sorted out on the other side. Greg Laurie. Oh, I'm so blessed to read this and the first time I read it, I smiled. God is with me. God is providing me comfort and he's telling me don't put your eyes on your troubles. Endure the suffering. Feel, be willing to feel the pain. I mean, I can feel myself definitely would be interested in looking for some pain relief. I could see now why picking up a good drinking habit would be good, you know, or or, or fornication or, you know, just going and throwing myself into some sporting event or some group or something or some whatever. People would look for pain relief and I'm convicted that it is in those seasons where people miss all of the character development and the joy that comes with them and the rewards that last in eternity, they miss out on those paying those fees, that tuition, um, by numbing themselves from the pain. It is the pain that is doing to me what I have not been able to do to myself. It is the suffering that is enabling me to humble myself under God. And it is what's crushing the things in me my pride, my selfishness, it is, the pain is doing the things to me that I've been asking God to do. So I am again reminded, no matter what comes my way, the $10,000 I'm going to have to pay that I can't even possibly, I can't even pay $100 right now. How am I ever going to pay a $10,000 fee and all of the additional lawsuits that are going to come from this? I'm sure they will never stop suing me and, and coming after me and, you know... She's never going to stop complaining about me sending the kids to the YMCA or every time I have the kids over to somebody's house that she didn't approve. I mean, this is the way it's going to be. And I just have to learn to stand under it and endure and and look up to my Heavenly Father and just exclaim, I know that you see this, Father. And I know that you have a plan. So I humble myself to receive the suffering because I how dare i not receive from god what comes from his hand if i believe anything about the bible i must believe that god jesus christ said i tell you the truth not even two sparrows fall to the ground from a tree apart from your father's will are you not more valuable than two sparrows so i know that nothing comes to me and i'm reminded of that this morning that god does not allow that it does not pass through his hand he showed this to me way way long ago in that impartation that revelation where I saw that adversity comes from three places personal infliction self-inflicted wounds enemy attack and God himself three primary ways obviously it comes from other people as well but I see that sometimes as being the hand of the enemy or into the hand of God that's just a subchapter. It comes from those three places but all three of them have to pass through God's hand and his will for those that he loves Romans 8.28 So I just stand in faith this morning and uh, I'm just going to try and capture as much of this as I possibly can and it is my great prayer that I not only end up looking more like Jesus Christ on the other side of this but that God will use this and redeem this and help me to comfort other people Help me to comfort other people one day in this I will be able to look somebody in, in the eyes across from the table and say, I know. I know. The strangest thing just occurred to me as I'm walking down the trail, I've been in prayer, just talking to the Lord Jesus Christ and telling Him how much I love Him and worshiping Him. And as I was walking, I began to pray for in regards to her heart and that God would mold her heart and draw her to him and i've been praying that god would take off any of the blinders or any of the things the devil has done to put strongholds on her to prevent her from fully walking in the love of christ and being used of him and in that very second i said use her god for your glory and i heard it immediately in my spirit i already am using her for my glory and i tell you what That stopped me in my tracks. I've known this before, but I never have heard the Spirit of God say it to me like that. And I almost was like, well, Lord, then why am I praying for her? It was was really weird. But right there in that moment, the Spirit said, I already am using her for my glory. And instantly, I hear the scripture from the Pharaoh in the book of Genesis, or Exodus, when... God says of the Pharaoh, He says, I have raised you up for this very purpose that my name might be known and glorified throughout the land. And I tell you what, the next scripture that comes to mind is how do we not know that God has not carefully... He, he Actually, the, the scripture is... God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And Paul goes on to say, how do we not know that God has not carefully chosen the objects of his wrath? And on one hand, it's edifying to hear this, and on the other hand, it's deeply sad to know that God is using me right now in an evil way disobedient way because of her disobedience he's using her in an evil way to actually stand against me and in the process her life is being used to bring god glory but not in the way that people would desire or hope to have their life used how bizarre is that i mean here it is i get a phone call from another brother who i'm lifting up god and encouraging to be obedient to god only because of, me. i would never be encouraging another brother i would never have this experience if it wouldn't have been for his blatant disobedience and her being used of the evil one god has allowed her heart to be hardened he showed me this over a year ago a year and a half ago when i was praying god showed me that he is the one that has hardened her heart and that my thinking i could change her mind was a futile attempt because i was working against the very hand of god so i tell you what this gives a whole new idea <sighs> gives a whole new perspective actually on thinking about forgiving people that are in your life i mean this i wonder could this very thing apply to my own mother And so, if so, how then can I judge those other people that appear to be blatantly disregarding God's word? Is it possible that God predestined this from the beginning? That God knew that there would be people in their path, in our path, that would disobey. That He would then have the justification to use in evil ways for His good purposes. It makes me feel far more less judgmental. Again, not to say... um Again, God, God says I get to have mercy on whom I want to have mercy and compassion on whom I want to have compassion. But um, many people have had choices. The Pharaoh had a choice. Um, well, I say that on one hand and on the other hand I see... That it's that God again hardened his heart. That he hardened his heart. But we know that God allowed that to happen. So, gets into a pretty theologically complex question. But I can know this. It makes me very thankful that God chose me to reveal his righteousness to and to have a relationship with and chose me to believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, wow. See, this is an important lesson This is one of those things where I think this message would help Christians not be so judgmental about those that aren't Christians when you can begin to say, Wow, wait a second. Maybe... How did I get so lucky to get chosen? Maybe it wasn't me that chose God because clearly the Bible says no man can come to the Father except if the Father first draw him asunder. So, there may be people... In people's lives right now that they're trying desperately to change and in fact they're working against the hand of God and God has raised up that person for that very reason again not for us to know so we're, we're supposed to just trust God obey and treat other people the way we want to be treated and follow his rules to not resist an evil person so forth and so on if you look at all of those commands they all just come back to do you trust God regardless of what you see period Today is Friday, the 13th of all things. Not that that matters, but it's funny. And I'm sitting on top of the mountain. It's an overcast day. It's probably in the mid-80s. More humid today than it has been most all year. It's kind of hazy, overlooking the city. And um, it's hot enough that when I ran up the mountain, I'm sweating really good. And... I am feeling the weight of the suffering probably more today and yesterday evening than I have in a while. It it feels... I feel really just tired. I almost feel like I could just go back home and, and go to bed. And I feel like I'm in a place where... You know, you're just trying to buy your time. You're just trying to endure. That's really what this is about. I'm in a place of endurance and trying to endure in the pain with God's help rather than try to distract. And to be to be honest with myself, that's one of the interesting revelations I'm having even now is that there really is nothing I can do to distract myself. It's, it, it's occurring to me now that that's part of my problem is I'm, I'm still human, and so there's those times where I want to, to seek pain relief. And there is nothing for me to be able to do right now to seek pain relief. There is no job in front of me. I have no work to distract me. Um, I'm checking my email every hour. Nothing's coming in. It's, 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 it's oddly silent. Um, I, I, was, I haven't even heard back in two days from, a, from an email that I sent to Pastor Dave Melendez who's invited me to, to, to get together with him, and I sent him back a reply, telling him when, and it's been two days I haven't heard back from that. I, I haven't gotten any feedback from the gentleman that I spoke to yesterday. I've not gotten a, a most recent email back from Jill. There's, there's nothing. There's nobody really that I can call and talk to, and if I did, what would I talk to them about? There's nothing going on right now. I mean absolutely nothing. There's no fun for me to go have. There's no recreation for me to distract myself with. There's no important subject matters that I need to handle or take care of. It's, it's, it's oddly silent. It's oddly calm. It's it's oddly still. There is, it's, 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 it's reminding me of what Tony Evans said the other day when he, in his message of the purpose for pain, he said. When you get to that place, it's scriptural. When you get to that place where you have no contacts to rescue you, you have no money to save yourself, you have nothing. You're completely exhausted of all your resources. He said that's the perfect place to be. His message today was about the spirit of joy and how different joy is from happiness and how we have so wrongly confused the two. And this was a, a very edifying message for me to hear because just a week ago I sent a message to some friends saying, have you ever judged yourself and been concerned that you're not that happy and that therefore there must be something wrong? And um, I have confused happiness with joy because I do, I still have joy. I have joy in this moment. I mean, after all, the only thing I've thought about today is God in Christ. I realize that upwards of 90 plus percent of my thoughts most of the time are about God. I mean, that's, that would sound obsessive to many people, but he is so often all I want to think about, talk about, or enjoy that I know that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, today's Oz Hillman, or Oz Hillman, I always call him Oz Hillman, today's Os- Oswald Chambers says, God is to be priority one, priority two, <laughs> and priority three. And I think, man, I can identify with that. And... um, so I'm in this just really weird place. I mean, there's nobody. I'm all alone. I've been alone for so long. And it's it's so odd to, to not be with anybody. And it's it's apparent that you're supposed to be in fellowship with others. And it's not that I'm not in fellowship. I do have Todd and, you know, Rick, obviously, almost every day. And Larry, obviously, being a huge part of my fellowship. And those two or three people equate for what might be 10 or 20 for other people, just the closeness and the length of relationship and the the intimacy that we share and the understanding of the Lord and all of that. So it's not like I have not been in fellowship, but I have not been able to be, it's more like a visit from Jonathan in the cave um, or in the field than it has been to be in fellowship with believers. I, I very much have been isolated now for, you know, gosh, I guess it's probably getting close to two years. I mean, it was probably a Well, actually it's been longer than that if you think about the fact that I was really isolated even when I was married. Not remotely um, sharing the same views on things and I began to be very isolated by her. So I guess it's over three years now. Right around three years that I've been virtually isolated. And uh, just with occasional meetings with people. And it's interesting that I... When I'm not around Larry or I'm not with Todd or I'm not, I wasn't having some of these conversations I would have with Jill. Occasionally I'd get very blessed and have some great conversations with Jill um, or with Rick uh, ongoing. Those moments, those conversations, I find myself walking away so energized and so alive and so just filled with joy. And it occurs to me, the reason is because I'm talking about God. It's the body of believers, two people gathered together in agreement on earth and Jesus says he's there with you, and that's that joy of his presence. Today, Dr. Tony Evans says that you do not have joy because you're looking for it outside. You're, you're confusing looking for happiness for joy. He said secretly inside everybody is, is looking for joy, and they're spending a lot of money to try and find it. And in fact, what they're, what they're really getting is happiness, which is temporary. He said it's like cotton candy. It's great and fluffy and light and sugary and tastes wonderful, but it certainly doesn't last very long. The joy comes by, in Philippians, he says, rejoice. So it's this idea that rejoicing is is tapping into the joy that's already in you because if you have Christ, you have joy. If you do not have joy, you do not have Christ and you do not have His Spirit. So the joy is already inside of you and the joy is not this thing, and I wish Tony Evans would have said this, but joy is not something that's going to make you sit around with a smiley face. I mean, we know for certain that just because Paul could write letters and we could see revival, the other side of him being in jail and stuff like that, that he most likely was not sitting in the corner with a big smile on his face, cracking jokes. There certainly would have been times when he was smiling because of the joy of the Lord, but he wouldn't have been taking it lightly. His joy is the very essence of what It's not the smiling face, it's the driving force inside of you that keeps you going in spite of the fact that there's nothing to be happy of circumstantial-wise. That, to me, is what joy is. Joy is the fact that I've walked up here on this mountain, I'm sitting down and I'm talking about the Lord and exercising my thoughts about the Lord and wrestling with the Lord and seeking the Lord and trying to be encouraged of the Lord and hopefully encouraging other people in the Lord all in the in the midst of the fact that I have absolutely nothing to be happy about. I mean, here is the state of my life now. I mean, and I really wish people could see this and feel this. Not that my suffering is any more than anybody else's. It's all relative. Um, but God's grace does come into in equal amounts. The amount of, 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 of adversity and affliction and, and suffering that we face, I, I feel certain of that beyond any doubt now that the great Comforter comes and steps into us so, so such that the very hand we receive suffering from, we receive an equal abundance of comfort to endure or stand up under the suffering, while suffering in and of itself is doing the very work it was sent to do, which is to make us more like Christ, give us a greater appreciation for what Christ did on the cross, and obviously give us a greater taste and enjoyment in the glory that is to come. So, the Bible says, if we're to participate in His glory, we will participate in His sufferings. And it uses the word, if, in the book of Romans. It says, if we participate in the sufferings of Christ. So, you know, if I look at my life right now and I go, what do I have to be happy about? Well, I could say, well, I have life. But Paul even said there was times when they despaired even of life. Count me in. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. I mean, I literally am sitting on the edge of a cliff. I'm 20 feet away from being able to end my life, and I have jokingly thought how great it would be for those who can just jump, who have enough courage to just jump and end it, and it's just black at the bottom. Obviously, I don't mean that. Uh, But I can see where people drive themselves to do that with a little whisper from the enemy. You could quickly be talked in, hey, there's pain relief on the other side of that cliff. Pain relief on the other side of taking those pills and just shutting your eyes. You don't have to deal with this anymore. I understand what it is to despair of even life. So, you know, I have no money, I have no job. I think I have right now total to my name, I maybe have $150 in one checking account and $97 in in, in another. So I have less than $300 to my name right now. I have no idea where the next penny is going to come from. I am $600 behind on child support because I didn't think I'd have to pay child support during the two months that I had my children full time. So I went ahead so that my ex-wife wouldn't suffer. I went ahead and sent her what I could, which was $600. And I wasn't planning on sending any because I didn't think the court would require me to do so. So I'm $600 behind on that. Um, I probably have a phone payment that's about $125 that's due now or late. I got insurance that is certainly due for $91. So I maybe have 50 60 $70 dollars in the bank right now have no idea where my next money's coming from. That's not true. I did just get a call yesterday for some work on Tuesday, some piddly work, a couple hundred bucks for a Tuesday shoot next week. Um, But I'm not going to say that as if I'm not thankful for it. I am thankful. On the contrary, I'm very thankful for it. Um, But, so, I have no career, so to speak, of. I have no income, no job. I have um, really not a single friend in this entire town um, that I can go wrap my arms around sit down and have coffee with um a woman that i felt certain was far better than anything i ever experienced in my wife my 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 wife who i loved i know for a fact more probably than i ever had the capacity to love even my wife just came in my life um i had a pretty intense relationship with her for seven and a half eight months and now that's over and gone and she's broken up with me um, because I um, had been basically pushing her to take God more seriously in her life and to consider being more discretionary in a few ways. And I did it over a long period of time, and I did attempt to do it in a gentle way. And, and one day, just out of complete exhaustion and enemy attack all day long, I just basically said, look, I'm going to demand that this happens with anybody that's going to be in my life. It cannot continue to be like this, and she ran off. So uh, she She left. So I'm suffering now from the loss of this relationship, which that is just such a heartbreaker. I'm living with my mother, who is second only to my ex-wife in in, uh, persecution and in being my enemy. I love my mother and I'm thankful that she gave me life. But beyond that, I I, I don't have virtually any respect for her. Um, She has all kinds of issues of her own that she's brought from her childhood into life, and she is a control freak, obsessive-compulsive disorder. There's nothing that can be done around the house that is to her standards, and she regularly will just come right in and completely take over, whether it's me doing dishes, fixing the kids' lunch, brushing their teeth doing whatever, uh, when you walk in the house, you're greeted with, hey, you forgot to take that out last time when you left. Hey, you forgot and left your book sitting over there, the dog could have ate it. Hey, you forgot to put your dishes away. Hey, you left your Bible sitting out on the, the desk over there. Hey, you forgot to, Whatever. And it's constant, constant persecution, ridicule. It's nothing terrible, over the top. It's not like she's running around saying she hates my guts or you know doing drugs or anything like that. It's it's just this long, enduring persecution. It's the hey, come out and sit down and tell me outside what your talk with the Lord was about, and then when I sit down and open my mouth, I begin. Perse- I, I'm accused and persecuted. So my faith is used against me. I'm regularly questioned if I'm psychologically okay because I love the Lord so much, and He's all I think about, and I'm obedient to Him. I'm regularly accused of, gosh, Michael, your life just doesn't work, and it's my prayer and hope that one day your life will work, and that you can see we don't have any stress and striving in our life, and there's no crisis, and we have money in the bank, and I so bad want that for you, and for your life to work, and for you to not always have to be so stressed out, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and You know, and and you need to get three jobs, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and all the while God telling me to stay right where I'm at. And it becomes obvious, it becomes painfully obvious each day I move forward that God has in fact been asking me to sit still. Because there is tremendous uncomfort in just sitting, doing nothing, while waiting upon the Lord, and sitting in the middle of a stadium of people who are accusing you of not doing what makes sense to the world. It's persecution. It's, It's harassment. So I have that going on. I have an ex-wife who after two years continues with her repeated blatantly evil assaults. I have victory in court only to turn around and have it be temporary and now I'm having blatant evil occurring and blatant injustices occurring in the court where even the very words that the General Magistrate made in trial, which would have given me far more victory than I think anyone ever anticipated are now no longer even being put into play, put into the final judgment, that the attorney was so crafty. His attorney has been so crafty in her ability to navigate around truth that they were able to get a final judgment put in place now, and they added so many things that the judge did not talk about, or they've left things in that the judge told to take out. Two examples would be imputation of income. They tried to get $125,000 a year imputed to me as income for basis of figuring child support. And the judge said, I don't believe he's making that much money. I don't believe he's hiding that much money. I can't do it. I don't see how it's fair. I have a real problem with this and agreed that I needed to continue to pay $1,200 a month. And whatever that was, um, based upon the court you know, mathematical equation, that would be my imputed income. Another issue would have been... Time sharing, yeah, the eight weeks in the summertime visitation. That he said the proposed parenting agreement was not adequate and that I needed to get the eight weeks in the middle. She would get the first week and the last week of summer. And now, his attorney has managed to slip in two additional four day visits, two four day visits in the middle of my eight. So I was already only getting to see the kids 85 days a year compared to her 280 days. Now I'm going to get eight days of that even less. Plus, I have to split my one daughter's birthday uh, in half with, with my ex-wife. And it just goes on. Oh, there's equalizing payment of $10,000. It turns out she would have likely owed me about $16,000 between, you know, my half of the vehicle and the half of the money that she had spent through our business account that she never gave me a penny of. And now they're, they're, they've managed to get that taken out and put it in that I, in fact, owe an equalizing payment of $10,000 that I'm supposed to be responsible for upwards of 11,000 of her $40,000 in attorney's fees. And it just kind of goes on and on that she gets main control and say over medical issues that she gets uh, to determine who I can have the kids with and I have to have all babysitters, YMCAs, people's houses I take the kids to approved. I mean, it really is just a tragic injustice and it just kind of goes on. So that's all going on. Um, So I have, I've I've lost, you know, last year I lost my best friend who when I confronted him about his pornographic issues and then we, of course, had my business failed and I had to take away his partnership. um, I lost him as a friend. He took it all personal and and, and left and and just abandoned me and I'm sure accused me, you know, to people. Um, There's that going on. So there's just this kind of a barrage of all things wrong. There's not a lot of right. My kids are constantly being told lies and I'm having to defend. That's the weirdest thing. I was just in the middle of recording my suffering uh, kind of journal right now and I get a phone call from Glenn who's a guy I met probably two years ago now back at the uh, uh, Lighthouse Vita Cristo thing and he had a very similar divorce story to mine and he was calling me to tell me about all the injustice and the evil and how it just keeps dragging on and on and on and on and on i knew the lord had had him call me so that was a (laughs) that was just kind of a refreshing reminder um that the god god is with me and he is in fact using um everything he's already using the suffering i'm going through so that was very confirmational he uh he said that he's gotten to the point where he's almost insane. Uh, and he's like, man, he's like to the point where I started thinking about wanting to hire a hitman. And uh, I mean, he was obviously kidding, but he's also being serious that it hurts that much. And I told him I understood. And uh, talked to him about the verse of Scripture where Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. And talked to him all about obedience and how we have got to learn to trust God for his word. And, uh, so, anyhow, that was pretty encouraging. I got to encourage another brother to walk in the hard truth of the Lord. So, hopefully he will. And, uh, I'm actually concerned. He mentioned living with his girlfriend. So, I hear a, another situation there where, um, you know, a guy would be probably most likely living in sin. And here he is struggling with the devil in battle and all that stuff. And, that's a, something I'm going to, I didn't feel led to say anything to him about it because I was already hitting him pretty hard about the being obedient and uh, hearing him, giving him stuff he didn't necessarily want to hear. So I'm thinking I'll probably send him another journal entry about my obedience. So in that area, I pray that the Lord blesses him with it. But it feels good to be used. Thank you, God, for for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you. Oh, I'm sitting here praising God. It's 5.54 in the morning. I am still not hardly awake. I haven't had my coffee yet. And I'm going to feed the homeless people this morning with a guy that I just met. Two days ago, I'm sitting at Starbucks. And a guy comes over and says, Hey, 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 what, what, what is that? And he's looking at my sticker on the back of my laptop about Sticky Story Productions. I start talking to this guy. Turns out he's done some some acting work and he is a um, a registered a patent a registered patent attorney for one of the largest patent firms in Alabama um, called Lanier Ford and I had seen their billboards on the on the side of the road so we started talking and I of course let the cat out of the bag that I'm a Christian and it turns out he's a Christian and we start talking and before we know it this guy's like man I can't believe we've met this is incredible maybe you could help us tell our story and I, I want you to meet this person and that person and And all of a sudden, I'm realizing, wow, God has put us together. Well, the next thing I know, he goes, and you need to meet that guy. This guy walks in. His name is Bill. And he goes, I need you to meet this guy, too. And he's an older gentleman. The guy comes walking over. And he hands me his business card. And it's called Second Mile Development. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, Bill, does this have anything to do... With the second mile in the Bible or the scripture, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, do not resist an evil person. If they ask you to go one mile, go with them two. He said, absolutely, Matthew chapter 5. And I said, man, that's incredible. So this is the scripture that I've now been meditating on for the last several days. Um, I get a phone call yesterday while I'm on the mountain from a guy who's going through a divorce situation very similar to mine, and he's just continuing to fight, and he's so frustrated, he's jokingly talking about hiring a hitman. He's just over it. He just can't believe it. And I began to share this scripture with him about do not resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. If they strike you on one, give them the other. If they sue you for your cloak, give them your tunic. If they ask you to go one mile, go with them too. And how God has impressed this scripture upon my heart that we are to, to actually walk this out. Been listening to a lot of Dr. Tony Evans, been listening to Greg Laurie's um, messages, not listening to them, but getting the daily devotions, and they've all been about suffering. Um, An affliction and they've all measured up exactly with with the theme that's going on in my life right now and so i've just been so joy-filled that god is walking with me i'm all alone everybody else thinks i'm a fool except for like you know two friends of mine and uh, that 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 fully know what's going on and god is confirming so specifically so here i am sitting here this morning and I open up and I'm getting ready to read my Bible. And I just decided, well, let me just check today's Oz, Oswald Chambers um, message today. And today I see the words, the title, Suffering Afflictions and Going the Second Mile. And I literally laughed out loud, praise God. And of course, then I see the scripture, <laughs> Matthew five thirty nine. I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek... Turn the other to him also. And I'm sitting here going, man, God is so unbelievably good. He is so good. He's confirming. This is the joy of the Lord. I haven't been smiling much in days. Went out last night with some friends to, um, and my parents and some friends of mine to uh, Low Mill and had a decent time, but I'm not much of a talker right now and just been so quiet and just kind of walking through the suffering. And this kind of thing brings me such joy to know that God Almighty and people are missing out on this. I was ministering to a woman just last night who does not know the Lord in a personal way and and admitted that even though she's gone through all these tragedies in her life, she's never had a single prayer answered. And I'm going, I just don't understand that. I've had thousands of prayers answered. I don't know what that would be like. And she doesn't trust the Lord. So I was able to minister to this lady last night. So God is using this disaster that I'm going through already to touch other people's lives. And she was in a situation where she's been feeling really sorry for herself and and her situation is bad. And then I said, you know, if you don't mind, let me just share with you what the Lord has brought me through. And I was able to share a little bit of my life story with her about all the suffering, just nonstop. And she was just like, wow, she just couldn't believe it. So God is on the move. It's incredible. So I might as well while I'm here read this because I haven't even read it yet. This verse reveals the humiliation of being a Christian. In the natural realm, if a person does not hit back, it is because he's a coward. But in the spiritual realm, it's the very evidence of the Son of God in him. He does not hit back. Praise the Lord. When you are insulted, you must not only not resent it, but you must make it an opportunity to exhibit the Son of God in your life. And you cannot imitate the nature of Jesus. It is either in you or it is not. Praise the Lord. A personal insult becomes an opportunity for a saint to reveal the incredible sweetness of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this This is all exactly in line with what I've been journaling and what the Holy Spirit's been teaching me. And the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not, quote, do your duty, but is in effect... Do what is not your duty. It is not your duty to go the second mile or to turn the other cheek. But Jesus said that if we are His disciples, we will always do these things. We will not say, oh well, I just can't do anymore and I've been so misre- misrepresented and misunderstood. Every time I insist on having my own rights, I hurt the Son of God. While in fact, I can prevent Jesus from being hurt if I will take the blow myself. That is the real meaning of filling up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Amen. I know what that means. Colossians twenty four. A disciple realizes that it is his Lord's honor that is at stake in his life, not his own honor. Never look for righteousness in the other person, but never cease to be righteous yourself. We are always looking for justice, yet the essence of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is never look for justice, but never cease to give it. Amen. I mean, how do I say anything but, yea, God, while Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I give you thanks, Lord, for this moment is almost surreal to me, that you continue. And, and Father, let it be that these moments are always surreal to me, and yet I should believe in calm faith that this is what I expected. And it is, but God, it still gives me such incredible joy to see you do this. And so specifically, you're vindicating me, God. There are those who stand against me, calling me a fool for Christ, questioning my own mental you know, health. And yet you do this, God. You do this. Father, you are so awesome, Lord Jesus Christ. I have already made the decision to suffer for you, and I will continue to do so. But God, I just thank you. I thank you, God, in this moment of joy. I thank you for the opportunity to know that I'm on the right path even more. I thank you for validating the reason why I'm doing it, which is to see you glorified. I lay down my own life, God, so that you might be glorified in my own rights, in my own need for justice, Lord. Thank you, Jesus Christ. You are so wonderful. You are so amazing, God. I also just want to make a note, um, just a reminder that I am seeing 555 a lot. A very unusual high number of times in the last, really probably in the last 24 hours. And like I just finished this journal entry this morning after seeing this Oswald Chambers devotion, walked inside, and just kind of turned the corner to go get some coffee, and bam, 555 was on the clock, and it didn't last three seconds. I mean, I was just right there in the right spot. I must have seen it at least four or five times yesterday, maybe even more, to the point where I was like, wow, I'm seeing 555 a lot, and I just, I didn't think much of it, but after seeing it this morning, it's almost like God is again telling me, just like He told me when I would go to the divorce without an attorney, that He would deliver me. And, of course, I know I went and I failed in obedience because I was not fully obedient to God that day. But it's almost like God is asking me now to suffer for Jesus, turning the other cheek, not resisting an evil person. But He's also now kind of showing me again because He knows what I think when He shows me that number. That means He's going to deliver me. 2 Kings, half of chapter 18, and and basically, actually, chapter 19. It's 2 Kings, chapter 19. Jerusalem's deliverance foretold. And uh, page 555 in my Bible. So I'm sitting here wondering, hmm, this is interesting. Because I've been willing to suffer without really being delivered based on what God's been telling me of recent such that He can get glory. But now it's almost like God is telling me He's going to deliver me. I don't presume to think that that is necessarily Him delivering me. I know in the end He's going to deliver me. Obviously, in heaven, I will be delivered and vindicated and justice will be made. But um, I just find it interesting that He's encouraging me by showing me that. And uh, this whole thing, just the Spirit of God is just saying, just, Michael, just trust me. This is how God gets is by people literally trusting Him. I was so reminded of this last night when that lady said she's never had a prayer answered and that when her prayers, when she prays, she prays for acceptance. There's no honor in just praying for acceptance. And I said, you really, you just don't trust God, do you? And she said, no, I struggle with that. And I said, well, that's, that's the key. You have to trust God. And, and God wants to bless you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he wants to do good things for you and show himself faithful. So it was just shocking to me to see that place. So I'm going to just continue to trust God and, and just ask. I've been asking him for him to make much glory of this for himself. And uh, I cannot wait to see what God does. It's Sunday morning, uh, the 15th, actually Sunday afternoon, 1219 now, uh, the 15th of July, and I just left um, a service at The Rock by Pastor Dave Melendez. This is the second service he's done in the last couple of weeks because Pastor Rusty is gone. And today's sermon was about was about anger, and um, I thought it was good. It's obviously there was not much that I hadn't already you know of my own accord been digging into and studying and all that stuff it was a good just fresh foundational approach but in the end I found um, some some validation that feels feels confirming and in the end he talked about obviously that anytime anger for selfish reasons gets out of hand where you're you know the, the dad screaming at his kids in Disney World he used several of these examples or the people that pull out in front of you in traffic that You do have a choice in that anger and um, that you have to be careful uh, and not sin in your anger. And then he went on to explain that the Bible does not at all say to not be angry. In fact, it says in your anger, do not sin. And he was talking about how if you are not angry in some ways, then he would question your relationship with God. And I thought that was so validating and so interesting. He was talking about righteous indignation. And he said a couple of things. Now that I'm pulled over, I can concentrate. The things that struck me was is he said, we need to quit feminizing Jesus and, and believing that Jesus was this little feminist, mamsy-pamsy weakling of a savior uh, who's just little Mr. Compassion running around blessing folks. Oh, bless you. And, and that's not what Jesus was at all. And this is exactly what God has been showing me and teaching me, that Jesus was highly offensive. And that if he would have said many of the things he said, then, today, people would be offended. Uh, There were many instances where Jesus got angry at the Pharisees. um, And then including he talked about the righteous indignation of him taking... um, having the anger in the uh, temple courts where he pointed out something i hadn't thought about that jesus took the time to go and actually make a whip and he says man how angry do you have to get if you're going to take the time to go make a whip he said that's angry and then jesus went in and and used everybody and mopped up the floor with them. he basically was saying and I found it very interesting that he talked about this and he said, you know, if you're not angry about what you see going on in our, in our Congress, if you're not angry about the undead, if you're not angry, I mean, about the unborn that are dying. And if you're not angry about, um, a lot of these things that are standing against righteousness, he said, I would, I would have you question your relationship with God. And he said that, that anger that's based in love is never wrong he said because God is angry he said we want to always talk about God as love God is love, God is love he said that is not the biblical picture of love he said if God only loved us and didn't have any justice and any need for anger that's not a real God, it's not real love he talked about the fact that God's love demands justice and thus it's why he gets angry at sin and things that stand against his children or prevent him from entering into his goodness, his righteousness, his relationship so I, was, I felt very vindicated because he said, we need men that will raise their voice. He said, we hear a man that raises his voice and we say, well, what's the matter with him? What's wrong with him? And he said, well, we've been emasculated. And I just wanted to jump up. And he said that, that, he goes, women, he said something about women, thou art loosed. He said, we need to have a scripture that says, men thou art loosed. We need to have men that are given. He said, that's what we were created to do is to rise up. And stand against these injustices. He says, men, if you don't get angry when your kids are being attacked, you need to turn in your manhood card. If you don't get angry when your spouse or whatever is being attacked. He, and he was using these examples. He said, you need to turn in your manhood card. Turn in your Christianity card type of thing. So, I'm tired for some reason. So, I'm, not, I'm, I'm struggling with my thoughts a little bit here. But uh, I, I just felt very validated. And he said something about uh, sports. He said, you know, we get so angry... And I thought, oh my goodness, he's he's speaking again what I've written. We get so angry when our team loses, and it dictates how well we're gonna do the rest of the day. Our favorite sport team, then he said we scream into television, we get all bent out of shape about it. He said, Where's the anger towards the things that offend God? He said, Ladies and gentlemen, I enjoy a good ball game, but I'm never gonna put my passion for a ball game in front of Christ, and I wanted to jump up and start screaming because this is the very thing that got me in trouble with Jill. It was my standing up against what I see as a a, a lack of passion for things of God and a, an extreme passion for things of, of sports and of the world. And so that night where I, I lashed out at Jill, it was literally all of that was coming out of love. She didn't hear it that way. She didn't receive it that way. But it's righteous indignation. It's anger towards folly. It's anger towards indiscretion. It's anger towards anything that puts the world or the things of the world before Christ. I'm not just mad at Jill for that. It just so happens that because I'm so passionate about my relationship with her and she was so close to me that for me to see somebody that I cared that much about be blind essentially to these things... It, it just, it just it's like having an internal meltdown. I got so angry at it. So that's where I said, I'm, no, I'm going to not tolerate this. I'm going to demand that the person I'm with walk in this way. Jill gets to choose whether or not she wants to do that. But I feel God is validating me that he has, in fact, called me to deliver a message that no one wants to hear that I do need to have the courage to stand up against the ills and the evils and the wrongs in the world and, and and that it is out of love. It is my love of God that makes me angry when I see people running around in idolatry. It's my love of God that makes me angry when I see people giving their very best essence and passion to a ball team. It is my love of God that makes me angry when people don't read the Bible every day. It's my love of God when it, when I see people, you know... F- flattering themselves or lusting after everything in the world and chasing after money and shiny objects and the car that says I love my BMW that makes me angry and there's nothing wrong with being angry that's the same thing if Jesus had a temple court filled with people doing the wrong things I have an entire city I have an entire country that is that I witness going against all things of God So why should I not be angry? It is the spirit of God that is in me. And here I come along and I'm told I'm not compassionate enough. Where was Jesus' compassion when he made a whip and he was flipping over change tables? Why do we not see the truth in that? That that is Jesus Christ standing against the ills of society and those that are blatantly against the things of God. That was righteous indignation. Even the psalmist wrote, I am gripped. Not I'm a little moved by indignation. Not I'm a little stumbling by indignation. Not I'm a little feeling indignation. He says, I am gripped with indignation because of the wicked that ignore your laws. So, man, I just feel so validated that God has given me this passion for a reason and that it's tried to be squashed and squandered. And I need to be able to be passionate. I mean, I took my videos down because... I let Jill talk me into thinking I needed to be more compassionate. That's wrong. I need to not be so silent. God gave me this conviction and this passion for a reason. And people need to be hit on the head with a cord of three strands. or a... They need to know. They need to know that this is coming from a place of love. Not from, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're evil. No, God is right. We all are wrong. God is righteous. We all are evil. And we need to bring ourselves in correction from somebody's passion and enthusiasm now before it's too late. When the lights go out and your opinion cease to matter, you're not going to be begging for you know, people to be compassionate. You're going to have begged that somebody would have hit you on the forehead and said, you're headed in the wrong direction. You need to set down that idol. You need to see the truth for the truth. You need to believe God's word says what it says and he meant what he said. Man, I tell you, that is righteous indignation. God, may I never lose this passion for all things of, of of your kingdom, God. May I never settle and become this little mamsy-pamsy person. May I not shrink back from who you made me, God. Forgive me, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ for considering... Castrating myself so that I could become a female version of Michael Criswell and go out and gently take people by the hand and lead them away from a very serious addiction to wickedness. Let it be that my passion for righteousness and conviction and all things against evil rise above people's passion for things of idolatry and wickedness and unrighteousness. Who will hear, God? Who will hear? Thank you.